Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Into the Bytecode. Today, I sat down with Tracheopatrix. Trach is a uniquely thoughtful and interesting person, as you realize through this conversation. He's one of the key leaders in the year in finance community after its legendary Genesis event. And he was also responsible for designing and driving the adoption of the governance system at Yearn. In this conversation, we talked about Yearn's evolution and key moments in its history with an eye towards takeaways that might be useful for other projects. We talked about the introduction of the multi-sig, then the Mint, a very complex governance proposal where the community eventually chose to dilute themselves in order to reward core contributors. And then we also talk about constraint delegation, the governance model that Trake helped design and which is operating in Urine today, which I think could be used by many, many more teams in this space. The other big area that we got into was Coordinate. Coordinate is a protocol for decentralizing compensation. It was designed and incubated inside of Urine and is now being built as an independent project. And towards the end of the conversation, we got into something I was really curious to talk about, which is pseudonymity. We hear the story behind Trake's name, and he also shares a perspective that has really stayed with me since. This was a really, really fun conversation, and I hope you enjoy it. Can you think of a particular moment in time where you had to really touch into why it is that you're doing what you're doing? We're getting real here. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Just jump, dive right in. Just dive right in. Get to the good shit. There's so much money at stake, right? And and I think for so many of us, money is one of those things that triggers our base survival fear. And that's challenging stuff for all, you can be in the, you see this in like enlightened masters and gurus and whatever, and they can still get fucked up by this. This happens all the time, dramas, controversies, whatever. Some teacher is sleeping with a student or stealing money or something like that because it's really hard and deep stuff. So yeah, very recently, just thinking about how do I really want to show up in the world? How do I really want to be using my efforts and my gifts, right? And i had been making a lot of money and that money I, I noticed was a force on me, you know, and money is great. I have no problem with money, but um, I realized I had to let go of a lot of that. This kind of decision where so I had to step back and think like, okay, like what is actually really an integrity for me? And what does that mean? Regardless of anything else, throwing away all outcomes, everything, like what is, what is that most resonant with the core of who I am? And that changed, I, yeah, that just happened to me just last week. <laughs> so I was just listening to this talk by Bruce Lyon. Actually, I sent you one of his talks. Yeah. Well, a talk he was giving on, on money and he said it so beautifully. It's like, really, are you acting from fear? Or are you acting from love? You know, and is, is the economy one of fear or is it an economy of love? And money can be used for both of those things. Yeah, I... I also like one model that comes to mind that I, I really liked was how bankless approached their DAO, right? Where mm -hmm. they were like, this all belongs to the community. And as the first proposal, we're going to say that, you know, bankless, the company, I don't know what the right terminology is, gets X percent of the tokens. And then the community mm -hmm. volunteers into giving them that gift, right? And yes. Um, I thought that was just a really beautiful way to approach it. It's so interesting how in DeFi, we have the opportunity to do these really beautiful uses of money. Like the mint at Yearn was kind of like that, 
you know, like yeah. we had this 30,000 token hard cap, like hard money idea meme out there, you know, and there was this fair launch, but who was it fair for? It actually wasn't fair for the contributors that didn't, I came right. around after the farming was done, you know, and so I didn't get to earn any wifey, but I was working all the time, but the community came together and they minted a bunch more wifey to give to the contributors. And that was a really, it was a gift. It was a beautiful, it was another gift, you know, in the series of gifts that you earn. Uh, this other document that I really, really enjoyed going through Yearn's blue pill. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one, of, one of the pages in there, yeah. you're like, this is, it's dangerous what we're doing here. We're putting Yearn's vision into words and that could yeah. limit what it can become. And yeah. that's what it made, it made me think of. But then the vision that you were ultimately putting on paper was that it's to evolve. Uh, how did that document come together? I mean, to me, it's like, it's just a work of art. It's so uh, beautiful looking through it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks a lot. I, I was really grateful to be a part of that process. There's a lot of people that helped make that come to life. Um, I guess it started, I think I put together a small group of people to think about vision at, uh, at Yearn and which is a really tricky thing to do in a, in a pure DAO like Yearn, because generally, well, not tricky. I guess it's more like uncertain. How do you do it in a DAO? Like generally vision comes from the leader, you know, it comes from the CEO or something or the executive team. We don't have anything like that at year. And so how do you make a vision? And so we, we did it. And I was thinking about this a while, like last year and started doing some interviews with some people to think about, well, what's your vision for year? Maybe our vision should be like a, a collage of all these different independent visions and Redphone did some interviews and he's a Redphone crypto is a contributor at Yearn and Weaver, OX Weaver, another contributor at Yearn did some interviews. He interviewed like 14 people or something. And then we were just kind of talking and it kind of just started emerging from that. And I think, I think Redphone, yeah. So we hired Redphone, I kind of on a contract to do uh, some tweet storms for us and some longer form content. And he, you know, I don't want to say too much about exactly who did what, because I love the mystery of it being a- Totally. Um, That's definitely a part of it. Yeah, that's a part of it. So these were some of the players, right? And then there was a lot of other people at Urine that helped a lot of other people. But through that kind of mix, we started working on this long form piece uh, and different people wrote long pieces of it. And then we edited it and other people rewrote it and rewrote it and rewrote it and like a lot. And the idea was to have it illustrated. And we basically shared the text out within Yearn and with other, with some people and got feedback. And we're like, does this represent us? You know, so from all of those interviews that we did, we kind of had like a starting point with, with which we, you know, just took our own shot at it, basically. Like, this is what we think the vision is. And then we're like, does this sound right, guys? So instead of being like, here's the vision, you know, go March, it was reflecting back to the organism what do we think? What do we think we're seeing here? Getting feedback, going through lots of iterations. It's very slow until we got to text that we really loved. And then we had that illustrated by this amazing agency, uh, including some of our own, you know, contributors to like Zem did some of the illustrations. The illustrations are amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like that's almost the first thing that is like, whoa, this is yeah. different. Yeah. It was great. Um, and then we rewrote it <laughs> like after we had a lot of the illustrations done, we're like, wait, no, some of this isn't hitting. So we went back and rewrote some of it. Yeah. And then, then wow. Labor of love. 
I mean, that that does sound like one of the most challenging tasks to go through with a DAO as as large and diverse as Yearn to define a vision for it and do it in a way that's involving the community in that process. It was. It was. A, I think the main thing is it's slow, and that's okay. Like one of the things that Zach Anderson, my co-founder at Coordinate, often says is "go slow to go fast," and it's there's so much wisdom in that, and it's true. It's like in order, like this document has provided so much value for Yearn and it needed to happen. It had to be authentic. It had to be sincere. It's not something you could rush out the door. You know, it took its own slow meandering time. Well, maybe let's, let's transition to coordinate. And I, there are some of these questions about like DAOs just as a form of coordination as a, as a new life form, as you like to say on the blockchain that I want to get into, but maybe as helpful context, if you could just talk about what Coordinate is. Yeah, so Coordinate is a tool to decentralize compensation. So, you know, with DAOs, most people think about DAOs, you think about coin voting. That's kind of the, the first thing that started a lot of DAOs and on blockchain, allowing for that type of decision-making to happen. But there's so many other types of decisions that need to happen within any organization that don't really happen through that one structure. And in most DAOs today, compensation decisions happen in the old style, where there's some people, they do a negotiation, they hire somebody, and then maybe they put that plan together and they get that voted on through the forum. But actually, the decisions and the work actually happened in an old top-down way. So what Coordinate does is it really, it's DeFi native, a way to do compensation. It's DAO native, where... All you need is a budget, an amount of money that you're spending every month, a group of people that are going to receive that money and a reason to give them the money, you know, like for creating value for a yearn. And then the allocations all happen through a decentralized process. And how does the process work? So the process works using these tokens called give tokens, which are kind of like poker chips. It's called a gift circle. So the coordinate is kind of the, the brand and the product is the gift circle. And so the way it works at Yearn, which is where it, it was designed within Yearn for Yearn and is spun off as its own entity. But the way it works, and we've run it for eight months at Yearn, we give away now like $75,000 a month through it. And so every month at the end of the month, the last week of the month, there's, a, there's an epoch and everybody gets 100 give tokens, which are like poker chips. Um, they're non-transferable outside of the system. And the, the ask is, you say, who did you see creating direct value for urine this month? Give them a gift. That's it. You know, you can give them a bigger or smaller gift in terms of how many give tokens you can give. So maybe, maybe like last month, there was only four or five people in the circle that, that I saw create direct value because Actually, there was a lot more, but those people are opted out. So some people, people that are paid through a normal system, which we also have at Yearn, opt out of getting gifts through the community grant. So the community grants only go to people that they should. And so from that group, there's only four or five people that I, that I directly saw last month provide value. And so I gave one of them 30 give, I gave one of them 20 give, you know, one of them five give, et cetera. Everybody does this. At the end of the epoch, you count up all the received gives. And you just take the budget and you divide that by the amount of the total number of gives. And then each person gets that percentage of the, of the budget for that month. What does this look like in practice? Like what has emerged from the last eight months of running this at year and at other DAOs? 
Oh, I mean, so much. I mean, one of the things is just how much more work there is to do. Like there's so much more to make in this space. It feels like we opened a whole kind of Pandora's box of opportunity because it really shifts compensation from fear to love, really. You know, it, it's bringing it into the gift rather than based in scarcity and having to scratch out some amount of money. Because with Coordinate, you get paid retroactively. But the amazing thing is, and like, you know, the future that I see is one where every protocol has a Coordinate gift circle attached to it. And ideally, it actually, you know, in the next version of Coordinate, you should be able to use it for all types of compensation. You can use this version for that too. It's just a little harder. But if every, every community has one of these circles, then as a person that wants to contribute to the space, all you need to do is just join a Discord, join a Telegram group and start making shit. And mm. you will be invited into a coordinate circle and you'll start receiving money just based on whatever value you've created. You don't have to negotiate with anybody. You don't have to sign a contract. You don't have to sign an NDA. You just, do you have something to offer? Make what you are drawn to make and then money will flow to you. And that's like a much better economy that I, for me to live in. Yeah. You're like increasing the surface area for each group and empowering each person on the edges to basically bring in other people. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, in coordinate V2, which we've been, we're in the design phase for right now, I think has made it really clear. It's like one of the big insights is that we did a lot of reading and research around compensation incentive structures. I mean, there's so much to go into here. Like it's common knowledge that, you know, if you want to have people provide good work, then you need to, you know, incentivize them ahead of time with a good financial package. Right. But the science actually says that that's not true. The science going back to the sixties shows that that's not true. There's a book by Daniel Pink called drive, which has a lot of great studies around compensation and, or you can look at like Charles Eisenstein, sacred economics or reinventing words, a lot of different uh, looks at this topic, but um, direct financial rewards, if then rewards work for algorithmic work, work that is like, you know, can be reduced to practice, like, you know, sweeping a floor or doing, you know, some type of chore, but it it's actually counterproductive for open-ended heuristic work that requires creative thinking. Like if you give people a riddle and you say, if you saw this riddle faster than other people, then you'll get, you know, a hundred bucks it'll increase the time it takes for them to solve the riddle. Hmm. than if you just don't say anything, because money tends to, to fuck up our inherent motivation system. And hmm. we've all felt this, right? The soul sucking nature of work. Sometimes it's like you get stuck. And my, my belief on this, what happens is that money just really narrows your vision. It brings it down to that old, old fear center, you know, in your sacrum, like it makes it about survival. Like I have to get this money to survive when the work that we're doing is so far from that, you know, we're creating a new world here, you know, and it's creative and open and new, and we need to have all those energies available. We don't want money to limit it. Um, so really like, yeah, coordinate is emerging from that. And so in coordinate V2, hmm. you realize that trust contribution, effort, and compensation are actually three separate things. And they always get lumped together, right? It's like, oh, I'm going to hire you. And now all of a sudden you're trusted. And now all of a sudden we expect you to give all of your effort to this group and you're going to get this much money for it. But like the value you create for a network isn't directly tied to labor hours or sweat. Like we've known that for a long time, but we don't really have a good way to deal with that with compensation. And also that doesn't mean that you're trustworthy if you're getting paid by a group. 
Like trust is earned in relationships with other people. That's how you define trust. And compensation should be in direct proportion to value provided to a protocol, right? And it doesn't have anything to do with time. Time should be free. We should spend our time however we want. It shouldn't be metered. Got it. So you're decoupling it from, there's no talk of how, how much did this person work, how many hours they put in. It's like, how much value did they create in your eyes? That's how I would see it. And I think of it as a very protocol centric view. Like right now, when we think about compensation, it's actually a hierarchical centered view. Most compensation systems are developed, you know, in, in out of, you know, the, the fires of these rigid uh, hierarchical bodies that go back to, you know, nations and militaries and whatever else, you know, the compensations are tiered, you know, and there's rigid hierarchies, mm-hmm. nothing wrong with hierarchies, just rigid ones aren't great. You want to make that more flexible. You know, you want to, you want to like the protocol urine doesn't care, you know, if you've been working there for a year or if you're like got a degree or, or, or even if you're a software object, it doesn't care. The value to urine should be rewarded, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It also, I mean, it's also a potential solution to the new way of working that DAOs, re- that DAOs represent, which is you're not necessarily going to go and join a DAO for three years and work full time. Like if you try to force it into the model of compensation, which is equity vesting with a cliff with clawbacks or whatever, you're... Yeah forcing an old world model onto DAOs when instead they should allow more permeable, you know, come in, help like on a project where you can then phase out, go do something else. And it should be able to work in those types of situations. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's what we all want, right? Like we work for, we work for multiple DAOs, like the whole nature of work needs to change. It's not about this kind of servant master relationship anymore or contracts or golden handcuffs or any of that. I can create value for curve. I can create value for badger. I can create value for sushi, for yearn, for Gitcoin, for ohm, whatever. Like maybe I want to, I want to just be a free person, you know, creating value in this space. And why not? It's also this open source kind of idea too. Like if I do one thing that's good for one group, it could be good for another. Why not get compensated by both of them for the same piece of work? There's nothing wrong with that. We haven't had decision-making systems pre- prior to coin voting, right? To, to enable this new type of basically kind of organizational entity that we now call a, a DAO. That small change created such an incredible explosion. Uh, the ability to do coin voting on the blockchain and other type of consensus the limited amount of consensus mechanisms we have has created this entire new kind of Cambrian explosion. But compensation is actually an even bigger decision space. Imagine if we blow, when we blow that one open, like the types of possibility, the freedom, the creative energy that releases is going to be wild. That's what Coordinate is doing. There really is something huge here. Yeah. Like one thing that came to mind while you were talking was conflicts of interest, right? Mm. And like that in the old world model, if I'm working at this organization and getting compensated in the traditional way, and then I go and like get someone else to come and partner here, and then they pay me for making that partnership happen, that's a conflict of interest, right? Like I've done something wrong there. But maybe the, the core problem there is a the lack of transparency, the lack of giving full disclosure to everyone 
that I'm involved in both of these organizations. And I believe this is a win-win collaboration. And like, if I help make it happen, then I should get compensated on both sides. Like maybe the problem comes from the fact that these things are done not out in the open. Yeah, I think that's, that's right. But does that mean that there'll be no people, no bad actors in this future transparent space? Like, no, there will be. They'll probably just take a different shape. Um, and we'll need to develop, you know, the, you know, the systems and tools to address that as there are in the old models too. But I think, you know, every, a lot of people worry about collusion when they start thinking about these types of systems. And I think, yeah, the, the more transparent, the better tools there are for seeing this stuff, really the, the incentives for colluding really reduce drastically just from a game theory perspective, because, you know, with slashing and other types of things that we can add in, it just won't make any sense. You know, it'll be a much higher value much higher ev to be a good actor and to be right. contributing value yeah you put it you put people into like iterated games rather than yeah. one-off games exactly yeah and because it's all transparent and you know with opportunities for reputation building you know totally works. how so when thinking about compensation one other thing that comes to mind is um especially if you're anchoring compensation to value created there's just going to be a big range there between what value people are creating, right? Like I sometimes think it follows a power law, like many other things. And if you're running an open process where people are allocating this to each other, will this system allow for, you know, one engineer making 10 times more than someone else? And do you want that to happen? Like, is that a property of a good functional system that someone can make 10x more than someone else who on paper, like has the same qualifications? And, and how do you think about that? That's super interesting territory. And whenever we think of, start thinking about this stuff, it's very easy to start extrapolating it to the whole world and be like, okay, well, we should need to, we need to create a, a system that's going to solve this problem globally, <laughs> you know, and like, we don't want to like reinforce power dynamics and wealth inequality, all that. Like, yes. And like, let's take a breath and like, we've got a product that's like, you know, yeah. starting it with it. Like, let's solve the problems right in front of us and not worry too much about that. Not saying that that's what you were suggesting at all, but I know people, you know, can often get there. I mean, when you're, when you're going after something so complex, there's almost an art about being like, we're going to solve these problems first. And we know yeah. there's, there's more levels to this that we need to figure out over time. Yeah. So I think we can talk about it in both ways, right? So like as a global civilization, like what should be the ratio between least paid to most paid? I have no idea, but um, I don't have a problem with there being asymmetry. I think that people also worry about scarcity and like we were in some discussions recently about like, oh, should we have scarcity in the metaverse? Like, I thought we were like over scarcity. <laughs> it's like, no, like, like, I don't know about you, but I like that there's, you know, what is like 20% nitrogen in the atmosphere and, and, you know, it's, 7% oxygen. I probably got these numbers totally wrong. Like that's useful. It's good that there's a scarcity of oxygen. The there, scarcity is like a fundamental property of the universe. It, it is. And it's going to be in the metaverse too. And it's like one, one way to think about it. And a nice way to think about it is it's actually about stories like in the metaverse. It's like these little properties, these nuances, these scarcities in our each other, like that I really like science fiction comic books and so do you. And not everybody loves those. Like that's a nice story that binds us together. Like we, we need methods to hold that type of relationship 
in the digital world too. Scarcity is important, however you want. Access is different. People confuse scarcity and access. No, like people should have access to all these different things. Equal opportunity, absolutely. But scarcity is okay. I think what we want is a system where, you know, if we're talking globally, big picture stuff, a system where the people at the bottom of the spectrum can still have wonderful lives and have equal opportunity and access to move along in that spectrum. Um, so in the small, the small scale, like with creating a compensation system right now, I think the things I think about more are things like popularity contests, you know, and like one of the concerns with coordinate is it it devolves into a popularity contest, right? And it's not about actually rewarding the direct value, but, uh, you know, who's the coolest kid in the room. We haven't seen a lot of that so far in the, you know, with like the 30 to 40 different protocols that have run it over the past six months and, you know, dozens of epochs. I'm sure it will emerge in some ways or another. So for first idea is that, well, is there something wrong with that? I'm not sure that there is something wrong with that, but I do know that I, what's wrong to me is that the person that's maybe not so popular, that is a brilliant genius, I call that kind of silent genius project problem, that they're getting compensated properly. So one of the things we're going to add in to Coordinate in the future is the ability to create, actually, you could even do this now with Coordinate, a group or some people that have more power in making compensation decisions. So a kind of expert group to balance the wisdom of the crowd. And their job, instead of saying just rewarding direct compens- direct value, their job is to talk to people, see who's being undercompensated and fill in the gaps. Yeah. Well, there are certain roles that by their nature are they're not going to have a lot of touch points with the community or they're going that the nature of their work is that they need to do it kind of under wraps a bit. You know, if you're the person building out the regulatory or legal strategy, you can't just be talking about what you're doing. So I think it makes sense exactly. to have other systems complement this. Another yeah. another question that comes to mind is if this process is happening in the open, you, you may want to do what's, what's defensible, what helps you build relationships with people rather than doing what you absolutely think is the correct way. And I wonder, I mean, this is another one of these future problems of like that there's good stuff here. Let, let's start with this. But I wonder if there could be versions of coordinate that uh, like say use zero knowledge proofs to make sure that all of the math checked up properly that everyone allocated their hundred gift tokens, but you can't see who they allocated towards. Yeah. I'm interested in this, you know, we like a commit reveal scheme or something. So we've heard, I've I've heard people advocate for this and we, we tested it over one epoch at yearn. It was a small sample size, you know, just one test, but people like the transparent version more. And so we've kind of held off on, on trying to put that, but other, a lot of people do want it. And I'm, I haven't thought through it deeply enough to know if it's going to be a, a important feature or not. What do you think? Do you think that'll that'll help? Well, maybe there is something about just where we are today, where because the system is new and there's this cool social component to it, and you're helping. Yeah. You know, I guess one thing you talked about is helping the DAO discover new people on the edges, right? But a, a zero knowledge version of it definitely also makes sense, maybe at a later point. And, I think, and zero knowledge different is different than commit reveal. Like there, there just wouldn't ever be a reveal of how uh, each person voted, right? There, there would just be the total tallies that come out knowing that the math was done correctly. Right. 
Okay. That's interesting too. I mean, I think the way I see it happening is these being options, like the, the kind of design theory yeah. for coordinate is that there's a lot of modules. It's very customizable and people can do it however they want. So we're adding in like quadratic voting as a strategy option for vote counting. And we'll add options in like this too. I think like my feeling is it'll be really useful to have this data publicly though, to be able to see like, oh, wow, this person got, got a bunch of give from Stanny and from Kane and from Andre and from, and from all these different, and Vitalik gave this person give. And it's like, wow, this, that's, that's really interesting kind of chain of reputation that you want to preserve in the system. Totally. It also makes me think like just changing the nature of who the give is coming from, uh, somehow being taken into account in the system. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe there's some sort of a page rank <laughs> that comes in over yeah. time. Well, that's one of the things we're most excited about really in the future is we need a better example, but it becomes a kind of decentralized LinkedIn. I mean, LinkedIn sucks, but, but I think, you know, what I, what I'm pointing at, but yeah, to have all that reputation, all those trust, all those relationships all available. Okay. So another topic I'm really curious to talk about mm. is, so Yearn started off in a very unique way, right? With mm. Andre giving away all of the wifey and mm. this totally decentralized DAO emerging. And then you being one of the people who was there to help bring out structure out of this crucible of chaos and, and potential, potential energy. Mm -hmm. And now that you're working on something new with coordinate, mm -hmm. how are you thinking about the strategy with which you're bootstrapping the community around the project, the DAO, like the governance, like how, how are you thinking about that? Yeah. I mean, it's great because we get to learn, like you frame this beautifully. I mean, it's all the stuff that we learned through the 16 months or whatever on Yearn. We don't have to reinvent that all from scratch. So, you know, one of the things that for me is one of the most valuable things that we made from Yearn was the new governance model that we have, which we call constrained delegation or governance too. And I mean, it took us a long time of like batting our heads against the wall and like making a lot of mistakes to get to that model. And so we don't have to do that again. That the plan for coordinate is that it will be, you know, governance two from the start. And, you know, there have been a lot of DAOs that have, you know, fought the same path and done this progressive decentralization. So Yearn was like instantaneously decentralized, whereas right. protocols like Synthetics had went on this really kind of progressive decentralization path and to the point where they have no entity now and they, you know, and they have a really cool, their own kind of constrained delegation model. And so coordinate will be able to progressively decentralize. Cause I think also like, well, there's different ways to do it. And I'm, I'm really not sure if there is a best way, but I know for at coordinate, like me, Zem and Zach, you know, we had this very strong vision together and we, you know, we don't want to give the vision away right away. Right. And that's, that's okay. You know, totally. you don't have, you don't have to do everything decentralized. We're the vision holders, you know? So we have most of the power right now, but we don't want to have the power forever. That's not in any of our interests. But we want to start the thing, get it on, get it out there, you know, get the first product fully out, get the team, the culture established. And as we do that, then we will use the, uh, the mechanics of governance too, to start delegating or, you know, powers from us to the community and, and giving them away. And, and, you know, most people don't ever give away power, right? But, but we did that at Yearn and we do, like, I've seen that done. I'm not worried about that happening with us. We don't want to hold the power. 
It's right. better because we've learned directly. It's better for a centralized group not to have all the power. Right. And we'll get into Gov2, but I, I really like yeah. this, that you've developed this governance model in a project that's much, much further along. And you know that you can design things in a way that they just fit into that. And without yeah. having to make any foundational fundamental changes, you can just kind of change the power dynamics in the future. Yeah. And then we're, we're not just from urine too, we get to learn from, so we've been collaborating a lot with synthetics and they've developed their own kind of parallel version of our governance. Well, they've developed their own governance, but it has so many similarities, structural similarities to ours and a lot of the same con concept that they've developed other really cool tools like the election modules that they're building. And so we'll probably want to add those at coordinate. I hope urine will add them at urine in the future too, but yeah, just there's so much work that's been done, not just at urine over the past years to a couple of years that we get to benefit from. Yeah. And that process of, you know, decentralizing gradually, how are you thinking about that? Like, is it grants to folks who do work on the protocol? Is it, is it, I guess, using coordinate probably, yeah. right? To, yep. to bring people in through the edges. Like, yep. how are you thinking about that process? Well, we want to use coordinate in a lot of different ways, everywhere from like, as a way to allocate advisor token shares to core team salary, and also for incentivizing the community and Gov2. So I, I think about, you know, think about an, an organization as like a circle and like what that circle contains is all the different types of decisions. I think decision-making is really the most interesting lens to look at these organizations through. And there's all different types of decisions that need to be made from like, a one contributor's decision to send a GIF in one Telegram group all the way to like, am I going to mint another, you know, chunk of this governance token? There's so many decisions. What logo to use, blah, who to hire, blah, blah, blah. Only some of those are really well-suited for on-chain coin voting or whatever type of coin voting. We don't have consensus mechanisms that work well for a lot of the other ones. There's a lot of decisions like around, all right, who gets Axe merge control for a GitHub repo? You know, who gets to decide what logo we use? How do you make those decisions? We need governance to support Choosing, that. Like, doing a governance vote around the color of a button on a website yeah, seems like, like the yeah. Dilbert comic for crypto that we don't have yet. <laughs> exactly. As, you know, democracy, man. Like every voice <laughs> yeah. must be heard. Like, Centralization. No. Who does this designer no. think they are? Yeah, if that's central, you've got to be decentralized. We're all going to vote on the color palette of this, uh, of this meme. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to make shitty artwork and to just suck the life out of everything. So people have been gradually decentralizing for a long time. We've learned a lot about that. So now there's another idea to say, well, why don't you just be fully decentralized from the start? You can. And I think that that makes sense in a lot of cases, but it also, you don't need to. And I think in, the, in our case with Coordinate, where we actually have a strong leadership and strong vision, let's not pretend that it's all the community. It's like, no, for right now, it actually is just a few people. That's okay. Yeah. You know, and we don't want to do it forever, but like, we're trying not to gaslight anybody. Like, look, it is centralized totally. right now. Let's and, all be adults about this. Yeah, you know, exactly. this is how yeah. we're going to make this thing work. Yeah. I don't want to give up my power right now and yeah. that's okay, but I definitely will give it up because I know I don't want it for that long. I think giving away tokens by using Coordinate is also just a it's potentially an alternative that many more people will move to because it's it seems better than retroactive airdrops 
that can be gamed. And, you know, it's literally like, you know, you will get tokens if you do useful work. So go and do that useful work. Yeah, I've been calling, I've been calling this contribution mining. And I think it's like the most interesting way of new form of tokenomics that we've been thinking about it at Yearn to do even further at Coordinate, certainly. But um, yeah, how do you distribute your tokens? Like, what are tokens? They're like, I think of governance tokens, like, yeah, people get caught up by the financial component and there's a lot of tricks around, you know, the financial versus the governance power, but really in a protocol, they represent the voice of that protocol. And to me, they, you really want them to go to the people that are leading within that protocol, who are like setting the standard for how the community is going to work, how the culture is going to work, uh, what is being made, where it's growing, what it's becoming, give those people governance tokens. And these should not be armchair people that are, are, I mean, there's a place for that too, but I personally don't think it's nearly as valuable as the people that are in the trenches doing the work. Give those people tokens and coordinate's the perfect way to do that, right? So you do a distribution through contributor mining. Yeah. I mean, I think the shadow side of a lot of this DAO stuff is that it is armchair critics who aren't involved yeah. just commenting on these public forums and or there really is no way to to weigh people's opinions, to kind of yeah. choose whose voice are you going to take seriously versus less yeah. seriously. And just having things in these forums, just comments one after another, puts you into this mindset of seeking consensus, doing something that everyone is behind. And that yeah. is just not the best way to make decisions, I don't think. It's really not. And so I have a lot of experience with this at Yearn and having authored many governance proposals and spent a lot of time in the forum there. And we've had a lot of really strong critics and like, look, criticism is great. And also, you know what? Sharing your opinion on a forum is great. The way that it goes wrong, and I've seen this happen many times, when people expect you to do what they say, right? They expect either they're like, look, like I have raised this point many times. Why aren't you doing it? And it's like, well, you know, it might even be a good point, but that's just not how we work. You know, we're not a top-down group. We're like, you know, you're going to scare the shit out of some middle manager who thinks that like our marketing is going to go down the tubes if he doesn't like force some engineers to like go and build this for you. Like, that's not how we work. Everybody at Yearn that works at Yearn gets to decide what they do. And so nobody has decided to do what you've suggested. It might even be a good idea, but that's just not, we're not going to do it. Or nobody's done it yet. Maybe we'll in the future. Or the other, the other thing is the other way it goes wrong is where it's like, look, everybody is, everybody agrees this. Why aren't you doing it? It's like, well, same thing. Like if you want to do it, do it. <laughs> okay. So maybe let's talk about governance too. What is that? How, how did it come about and, and what is it? So governance two is a new kind of decentralized governance theory and, uh, you know, implementation that Gabriel Shapiro and I wrote for Yearn. It was YIP 61, which got approved, damn, uh, maybe six months ago or something, four, four months ago. And it, it really goes back to the beginning of Yearn. So when Yearn started, it was like, how did you make decisions, right? Andre gave away all the wifey tokens and he said, you guys are in charge, right? And, and that was mostly it, you know? So people came onto the forum and they were making proposals from everything to like what podcast should Andre go on to, you know, what should the token emission be and everything else. And there was no, I call this the kind of what's the surface area that the governance token actually controls. And there was no definition of that. 
there was no scoping of the governance powers. It was every, everything was up for grabs. It was great. It was beautiful, chaotic madness, right? And as time went on, what we ended up seeing was a lot of these just organic groups of people started forming to do things. You know, like there were developers that were working on the code base and, and there were people that were, you know, moderating the forum and there were people that think about governance and whatever else. And, and they were making a lot of decisions. You know, there was a question as to what is that allowed? Can you make decisions? And instead of trying to go the route of like trying to push everything through this one coin voting. So it's like coin voting is like the thinnest possible straw to suck all of human expression through, right? That's a <laughs> that's a quote from I think Joy Mountford, who was an HCI researcher years ago. I might have misattributed that, but it's a great quote. And instead of trying to do that or trying to pretend that that's how we're going to do it, we did Substrate and I and a few other Franklin and a few other people, Vance Spencer, did a proposal uh, YIP forty one, which was to temporarily empower the multi sig to make operational decisions. And we said is like, look, like what's happening is people are forming these autonomous teams and they're doing the work. Like, let's empower them to do it. We don't need to be overly democratic about everything. And that passed. And what it did is it gave the multi-sig six months to do some limited things like hire people and make certain set of decisions. And this was the kind of beginning of constrained delegation. And what I'd add is like all of the discussion is fully public on the forum. And it's really interesting to go back and read through these conversations. So the the transfer of power to the multi-sig was YIP, what? 41. 41. 41, yeah. YIP 41. Well, what were some of your, like, yeah, what were some of the insights like from, did you read the YIP 41 discussion? Like, what do you recall? I did. um, I just think it's so beautiful how and and unique and elegant how this project started right with full decentralization and then watching how people organically take leadership of certain things and then come and propose this model you know from the soup uh, where there was no structure and then the larger community being wise enough to pass this decision And I thought that was interesting. And then I thought, you know, what comes after like the, uh, the mint, which was the big one. And it was also interesting, you know, I think in the multi-sig vote, it was like, we're going to do this for six months temporarily. Right. And then the mint post is six months after that. So it's like what it was, right. I think you're right. Yeah. It was. So yeah, 41 was like August and the mint was like February. And right. actually, we got an extension on YIP 41 because we didn't figure it out, governance two in time. So we needed we needed a few more months and we then we did it in a couple months after that. So it was like the mint. And then I think governance two was like right after that, in like March or something. Yeah. And the mint is just a gargantuan yeah. complex thing to traverse, my which God, that's... you can you can talk about. But I mean, my other just observing this whole process and reading the forum posts, it's like these are really freaking competent, like smart people, you know, the mint is probably up there with the most complex strategic things that you'd have to navigate when running a company, you know, you're getting buy-in from this public community to dilute them because it's for the long-term benefit of this project. And you all managed to do that. It was crazy. Yeah. That was so wild. Yeah, let's talk about that and we can come back to governance too, but um, because it's all governance and it's all crazy. The mint happened so strangely. So we'd been, the interesting thing is that like from the beginning, 
like talking to Andre about this and forgive me if I've misrepresent this at all, it's all my mistakes. But as I recall talking to Andre about this, you know, he always assumed that there would be a wifey emission, an ongoing wifey emission from the beginning. It wasn't meant to be 30,000 and done. And there were like 10 attempts in the governance to mint more wifey in the first month or something. And they all failed. It's like how Bitcoin's block size, like there was this comment yeah. <laughs> that this should be changed. <laughs> it's the equivalent. Yeah. yeah, right. Basically, right. Then all of a sudden people started conflating their memes. They started thinking about Bitcoin and hard money and stuff. And they're like, yeah, that's what wifey is. Like, no, that is not what wifey is. Like, it's not meant to be hard money. It's a governance token. The purpose of it is to coordinate the community. And so it needs to be flexible, really. It does have a financial component. We want to honor that. But so, so everyone got stuck in this mindset. And I really realized how powerful memes are. This 30K meme, like everybody, I was susceptible. I, all of us thought that it was like this amazing thing, never meant anymore. We're going to do it the hard way. But then like- Just to just to draw the point, I think memes are so powerful. And it's, it's one of the things that many of us realize by spending time in the space, but it's almost its own craft alongside- engineering, design, like yeah. how to craft basically idea packets that people can get behind is yeah. so, so powerful. It's super powerful and it's just as important as everything else, you know, and it has such a huge impact. I think a lot of people can sometimes have this naive view that like, they think that like technology is like this really pure meritocratic, like linearly improving system, but it's really not. Uh, one of my favorite philosophers of technology, Andrew, Andrew Feenberg, really talks about this well. He says, like, technology is part of the social matrix. Like, if you look back to the evolution of the bicycle, for instance, like, you know, they used to have that big one-wheel bicycle, and that was the most high-tech bicycle. And so then that should just keep going, right? But then somebody invented the safety bicycle, which had two little wheels. And that wasn't a, considered a better technological bicycle, but because of people's concerns around safety or whatever, they started to use that more. And, and technology always develops in this way as part of the social media. It's embedded and we decide, you know, as a community, memes are a huge part of that and how these decisions get made. There isn't one, you know, technology doesn't ex exist outside of human consciousness, you know, it, it, right? So humans are a big part of it and it's very path dependent. It also makes me think of without going too much down this tangent, but it may, yeah. I think it's called like Planck's rule or the, the idea that science progresses with generations of sci new scientists that come to the fore and that basically people, you know, even Einstein struggled with the ideas around quantum mechanics and it requires someone who's, yeah. you know, really young and hasn't fully depend those grooves in their minds to really buy into the old way of doing things to come in yeah. and do something new. So like, if you look back in time, that's how these ideas progress. Oh yeah. So the mint, so it was like the most the incredible Overton window shift. Like what happened was basically all these incredible people like Bantag, Milky Klim and Daniel Lemberg and Dark Ghosty and Faku and all these incredible contributors, you know, and Doug, Luciano, we're all getting paid like peanuts. We were getting paid so little. It was like, well, well there was no wifey to like pay us with. They're like, what we're, it just didn't make sense. Yearn was so poor, yet we we're making so much money and our fundamentals were so much better than every other, everybody else. So it was like, well, we should really reward the contributors too. Right. And that's, and that was kind of what happened was 
it just we just been poor for a long time basically and so it was like 500k or how much was actually available to pay the contributors at this point 500k was our was our budget but it could get topped up so per per year it wasn't actually super clear like it wasn't 500k per year it was that the the multisig would have an operational budget of 500k got so it so it could can get theoretically you could continuously refill it and it's an infinite budget but um I don't know if we actually specified. I think it was maybe, <laughs> but I so think you, the way you it maybe was, had an easier way out of this situation. <laughs> we probably did, but that didn't feel right to just drain all the money. Um, <laughs> I, I think um, I think it was more monthly. Actually, I think it was five hundred. No, no, sorry, it was five hundred k a month. No, that was mm-hmm. specified, and we rarely used all of it actually. But even yeah. if we did tap it all out, like it still wasn't enough it's to properly yeah. to contributors. So that's what kind of sparked the mint. And then it was this incredible Overton shift where like I had to do, I went on a campaign basically because when it clicked for me, I forget what it was because I'd been anti-mint previously. And then it was like, somebody did a bunch of research of other projects like treasuries and stuff and what they're compensating. I was like, this is just not fair. Like this team is so good and I see them contributing and they're so fucking talented. They need to be properly compensated. And so I went on a campaign to basically break this meme, 30K meme thing and, and changed a lot of minds, changed a lot of hearts and minds. And then the mint went through. But we also there was a, put a team together of like super heavy hitter, big brains to put that proposal together. It's one of like the best written proposals I've ever been a part of. And then it has the complexity of this is the group of people potentially setting their own compensation and yeah. like all of these things that are incredibly complicated to navigate even in a traditional company and you're doing it out in the open what did that campaigning process look like like what did you win about winning the hearts and minds of a large community yeah it was just like a lot of discussions a lot of talking to people a lot of like sharing perspective and like because what had happened for me basically was like this illusion gotten broken in my mind and then but i saw that same illusion a bunch of my friends minds and it was like, it wasn't about me, like enforcing my view on them. It was about questioning it with them together, you know? And I just like took it upon myself to go and have all those conversations and to like get this thing. It was, it was like politics, right? But it was, and it, it did take a tremendous amount of my energy. And I don't think I would do it again in that same way, but I can't say, I don't regret it. And I don't think it was a bad thing. It was, um, it was intense. It was intense period. And there was a lot of discussions, a lot of debate and a lot of campaigning really, you know, for this, this idea. One of the weirdest things is like, I was with some people on the team, I was like campaigning to make them rich, you know, like they were like, no, don't do the mint. That's not who we are. You know, I'm like, no, like, you know, we need to do this. You need to be rewarded. That that's, so that's interesting. (laughs) And yeah, going back to that multiple, like, I don't know what the multiple is, but having some people in society or in a, in a protocol make 10 times or 20 times the amount of somebody else, as long as that other person that, you know, that's making at the low end of it, you know, has the opportunity for advancement, you know, is making a salary that allows them to be healthy and safe and to take care of themselves, then I have no problem with that. You know, I think that that's actually good because value is asymmetric and there are natural hierarchies and some people do know things better than other people's and that should be rewarded and celebrated. It doesn't have, but we're also used to the um, really unhealthy power dynamics of ex- exploitation and enslavement and taking advantage of others that we're, we react to that. And that's why you see a lot of people fight against any form of hierarchy, but it's like, look, no hierarchy is a natural part of the universe. And 
you know, we can't pretend that the sun's not bigger than the moon. So it's more about how you hold it. You know, that can, all that stuff can be done in a beautiful, true way too. Okay. And then moving on to Gov2. Yeah. Yeah. Gov2. That's right. So we talked about YIP41 where we gave the multi-sig power and the multi-sig is a six of nine Gnosis safe multi-sig. But really what uh, YIP41 gave them the power to make decisions, but actually the people that were making decisions were these organically forming groups of contributors that would form around a shared interest. They would start doing work and they would say, you know, actually, you know what, we should farm, we should put some of the treasury into this farm because that's going to earn us a lot of yield. And then they would pass that decision to the multi-sig, the multi-sig would review it, and then they would execute it, or they would veto it if they thought it was, it was not a good idea, or they'd ask questions. And that was just the natural way that it developed. The multi-sig actually wasn't making many decisions at all, otherwise, other than is this a legitimate action or not? And the purpose of the multi-sig were these were nine high reputation public figures that provided a trusted machine for, for making on-chain decisions so that the treasure is not going to just get wasted. And so Gov2 came out of that. When we did YIP41, it was for six months, and we put a line in there saying that this is a temporary and we will move into a multi-DAO future, which you know we saw places like Synthetics doing this multi-DAO system. We thought, actually, that makes more sense. Mm-hmm. So we want to move to that. But it actually ended up changing because we didn't do a multi-DAO. We kept one DAO. But instead, we created these autonomous teams we call Y-teams, and that's the foundation of Governance 2. So mm. what Governance 2's governance per- specific perspective on, on DAOs is, comes from this lens of decision-making. And we started with just on-chain decisions. So we enumerated 19 decision-making powers that Yearn was doing. And each of these became discrete powers that could be traded and moved around within the system. And then we gave, we created this concept of Y teams. These are small teams that can form and be ratified through a process in order to hold these powers on behalf of Wi-Fi holders. And Wi-Fi holders have the ultimate power of delegating or redelegating these powers. So if Wi-Fi holders believe that a Y team is not functioning well, they can take the power back. Yeah. Uh, so it always does go back to them. But then there's also checks and balances. There's also the main multi-sig, which is an, a type of Y team, and they have veto power they could veto uh, even a wifey holder's motion. So uh, there is, it is, you know, not pretending to be some perfect logical system that can all be put on chain and all work flawlessly. It actually admits that there is space for human discretion, you know, in, in these systems and that there is space for some forms of trust, because I believe that, you know, whatever you're doing, if it's at the edge of what's been done before, it can't be reduced to practice. There always has to be some right. piece of it that is left for human beings to decide on. It, it feels like um, taking corporate governance and learnings that have been there and bringing it on chain with a much higher level of configuration and reconfiguration, right? Uh, importantly, like all of this can change and that's baked into the system. Exactly. So there's a few really key differences and, and this is, something that's super interesting. So people often say like, well, what's the difference between like a DAO and an LLC, right? Yeah. And, and because they can kind of look the same, like token votes, shareholder votes, like multi-sigs, boards, executive teams, blah, blah, blah. But I think to really understand the difference, you have to look at the substrate on which they emerge. And the corporate model, you know, which goes back 300 years, uh, is built on top of a platform of 
of government, nation state governance, democracies with legal apparatus and uh, rule of law and militaries and monopolies on physical violence, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what these systems come from. Those systems have also been super vulnerable to entrenched power and to collusion and to, you know, the Bilderberg conferences of the world and all these like, you know, conspiracies and whatever. When you change that substrate to the blockchain, which is this kind of new physics in the you know interpersonal space where everything can be transparent and everything can be changed, but it's trustless and you know the same people can trust that it's the same for you as the same for me, it is fundamentally different. And that doesn't mean that every structure within it needs to be different. Like people make decisions in small groups, that's not gonna change. People work together right. and they, the intimacy grows in small groups, that's not gonna change. Right. So we're not going to get away from that. Hierarchy exists. That's not going to change. Hierarchy is useful. The differences are these subtle differences, like that it goes from opaque by nature, you know, and baroque by nature, hidden by these corporate veils and legal jargon veils and expertise veils. But a lot of it is mostly just obfuscation on purpose in order to control power. Moving from that to transparently on purpose, like that changes a lot. Moving from rigid hierarchical systems to fluid, natural leadership, natural hierarchical patterns. So with governance too, it, it looks yeah. structurally similar, um, but it's fundamentally different. When you think about the space for potential models for coordination and governance that is made possible by blockchain as a substrate, mm. and mm -hmm. you've designed this model for Gov2, which is basically at the cutting edge of what we have in this space at this point. Do you have open questions in, in your mind of pieces yeah. of the design space that you haven't explored enough or trade-offs that are inherent in the decisions that you've made with this model? Yeah, good question. And so this is been thinking about a lot lately with Gabe Shapiro and some other people, more stuff. So I thought Vitalik's recent article on coin voting was really great. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we have this problem of the ability to separate governance power from the financial power of tokens. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of ways you can imagine that happening. And a lot of the stuff that we're doing, it's based in coin voting. And, you know, at Yearn, we have taken this delegated model and other places too, where we use um, snapshot for signaling. And then we trust a group to take that output and put it on chain. I would like to see that stuff on chain, but then if we do put all that on chain, right, then you really do open yourself up to governance attacks through the type that Vitalik explained. And I, I, I thought that paper was really on point. A lot of the reason that things work this well is because it's early. There's a lot of goodwill. Um, a lot of these systems haven't been figured out how to exploit them yet. A lot of bigger money corporate interests haven't gotten into the space yet. They will absolutely exploit all of these systems if we put them in. We have this grace period before we're really on the map. Right. So like, yeah, I want it to be on chain, but I'm not willing to open, like, look what happened at, at compound just recently, like, or look at, there's been other governance attack or like steam. Right. So like, you know, sure you can fork, you can fully fork the community, but I don't want to have to get it that far, you know, like maybe we can avoid going that far, you know? So one thing that governance two does is it creates these kind of two bodies in a way there's like the wifey holders and then the, these white teams, which you can think of as being kind of legislative group. And then an executive group mm -hmm. um, from a governance perspective, and that maybe there does need to be some type of a judicial branch. And, you know, people have looked at this like Aragon court or Clero, Claros court or the mm -hmm. escalation games, but I think there's another form for that too, 
which is a interdao body that an elected delegated body of ambassadors hmm. that um have a very very limited scope of of what they can decide on but the one thing that i'm thinking is that the self-sovereignty of protocols so the problem with governance attacks if you even think it is a problem but what i i think it is is that it's it's taking the sovereignty of the community away to another community and mm-hmm. I think that we might like that's one thing that we could create a uh, kind of UN of DAOs to protect against. Interesting. So pull pull out a group of people who have reputation, who who are yeah, who have the confidence of the larger community that they're aligned with what we're truly trying to do here, and yeah. they kind of stand as a last check in case these systems get co opted. Yeah, like I was thinking of it like a six of nine multisig with from nine different protocols, right? So you take mm. some of the most trusted protocols and each one of them elects an ambassador and it serves on this multisig. And this multisig has one key role across all different on-chain protocols that want to be part of the system, which is to protect them against governance attack. That does seem like using humans in a limited way to protect against what could go wrong. And we really need humans. Like I think approaches of moving off of coin voting in fundamental ways are too early. Like it's just, it's, uh, you know, you, you can't build a web of trust that is going to work and is civil resistant. Like these problems are really difficult to solve. And so this seems like a good solution that could work today. Yeah. Hopefully one of them, like, because the alternative is that you have like a multi-sig that's within one community and that kind of, we're doing that and it's working, but it's not ideal. Um, you really want to have as much transparent and on-chain as you can. And so how do we keep pushing that further? This is one way to do that. Going back to constraint delegation mm. is um, if you're talking with, you know, a team that's going down this process of progressive decentralization, would you advise them to use this system? Like what are, what are the options in front of them and how do you think about making that decision? Yeah, this is also a really great area. So we went to MCON in, uh, we, we, I'm using the royal we, I went to MCON. In, uh, <laughs> we, the in, Tracheopatrix. Uh, the, the Tracheopatrix clan uh, in Denver. And there was all these incredible, we were, no, we, because yeah. actually you and I went together. Um, that's what I was saying. Um, and there was all these great people in the DAO community talking and like, well, actually this emerged for me when I was helping the loot community, trying to think about governance is like, there isn't a really clear like template for people to do governance when you're just starting up. Like the options are like, okay, snapshot, multi-sig, discourse, discord, right? That's Mm -hmm. one option. Or it's like compound governor, Bravo, if you're more software minded or you wanna be more on chain and delegation and then, you know, website and then discord and discourse. And what else is there? Or it's roll your own. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. are rolling your own. But what a lot of these systems totally miss is like why you're doing what you're governing and what's the point, right? Like first principles thinking about the problem they're trying to solve. Yeah, exactly. That's totally left out. So like talking to people at Gitcoin, like the Gitcoin public library about like writing some of this stuff or some of these DAO groups, like, like let's write up a bunch of this. What we really need is a more legitimacy as a community and like to write it together. So it doesn't seem like one person pushing their agenda, like can we come together and and put together this toolkit for new protocols to do governance and understand it better and create better options? Gnosis Zodiac is a super interesting one that's coming online too. 
Yeah, and that that legitimacy is a key piece of it. It's why a lot of people are using Compound Bravo, right? It's because right. you can say that we're using the same governance model that everyone else is doing rather than right. rolling our own. So yeah. governance to the model is really think about what key decisions you have to make as a project and yeah. how you want decision-making around those to work. And really the the framework is a flexible one where the token holders delegates this decision-making to particular multi-sigs that, are, that yeah. are empowered to make these decisions and then, you know, have the power to change that around. Or, you know, you could have this other group yeah. that has veto power. It's more a, a framework for what governance uniquely means for your project. Yeah, absolutely. And so if there's anybody out there that wants to work on this, like reach out to me because we have governance too, but we haven't implemented all the features. So, so governance too is running in telegram groups right now. Like there are some of the Y teams are multi-sigs, but some of them don't need to be like the Y budget team, right? That's just a telegram group and they do polls, you know, for four or three or five uh, voting of the signers within the group. And that works okay, but that's not so easy to like spin up, right? So what I'd like to do is take Zodiac and build, you know, telegram bots and discord bots um, that allow direct you know, integration with the Gnosis multi-sig or with another module so that you can have, so you can like roll out a governance to implementation really quickly or work with Orca protocol or like, there's a lot of people building or colony, but like we need the integration and we need the stuff, these tools. Can you built. explain what Zodiac is quickly? Yeah. So Zodiac is a kind of a library for doing uh, modular governance. It was partially inspired by governance too, from what I've been told. And it you know allows you to interact with Gnosis safes or a Moloch DAO or a colony instance or whatever you want. And you can have modules, you can have modifiers, and you can have guards, the kind of governance Legos to do things like a modifier can be a time lock and a guard can be like, you know, it's only certain types of transactions can be scoped to this group and not others. You know, mm. it actually would work perfectly for for Gov2. Got it. So governance to, or another name for it is constraint delegation is maybe more the, the framework for how to think about governance. Yeah. And Zodiac is more like the programmable primitives that you use to put together your concrete instantiation of this. Yeah. That's like, I think Zodiac is an implementation option, you know, so is Orca protocol, so is Colony, so is yeah. Aragon or whatever. Zodiac is the closest one at governance to that I've seen. And I think it's a wonderful one. We need better implementation so that you can spin these things up quickly and make them configurable and customizable and you can choose what you want, you know? So I have one last topic and then we can call it. Great. And it, it's around uh, pseudonymity and being called mm. tracheopatrix, which is my favorite pseudonym by far. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So I, I had been following crypto for 10 years, but I had only really started working in it DeFi summer. And during that period, I was like, well, do I do this as my real name or do I do it as, a, as an Anon anime character? And um, <laughs> the choice really was clear. It, it, it really wasn't actually. I was really not <laughs> sure. I was like, because I don't have, I'm not like a super like nerd in that way. Like, I, like it seemed like a lot of friction for me. And like, and actually under my real name, I have a pretty good reputation. I was like, well, I'm not going to be using any of that and like good credentials and stuff like that. But what I decided was I actually really wanted to become part of the culture in that way. 
And I also was unsure about the security and worried about, you know, what about people finding me out and who, who knows, like, like it's a little scary entering this new space. So it felt like a, a nice layer of security, but also just the cultural part of being anonymous and getting to be tracheopterics, getting to be a dinosaur, like was really cool to me. And uh, it's been really rewarding actually, like coming into this space with nobody knowing who I am, nobody knowing my age, where I'm from, what I've done in my life, you know, and be able to create this entire career in a year from scratch when I'm actually kind of old and I've had multiple careers before <laughs> was pretty cool. Yeah. That is really cool. Yeah. So how, how does it work in practice for you? Cause you know, if a, a real pseudonym like Satoshi, let's say mm-hmm. where, um, I imagine that person would have had that group of people. I mean, Satoshi's maybe a bad example because there's just, it's, uh, there's a lot of lore around it, but if yeah. you're a person who's truly pseudonymous, that means that you're probably not sharing this big part of your life with the people yeah. that you're surrounded with in your day-to-day life. And that seems like a pretty big life decision to make that could potentially create, you know, just a, a, a division in who you are. Like, can you be authentic with your family, with your partner, with your close friends? And I haven't heard people talk about these questions. So I'm curious how you think about them. I'm really glad you're bringing this up actually, because it's, it's, I haven't heard people talk about this either. And it's a really big, it's a really big one. And it, it turned out that that friction was too much for me. So early on I was tracheopterics and I still am, but I was like, you know, I didn't share a video with anybody. I didn't tell anybody personal things about my life. And I really didn't like it. I really didn't like it. And um, I just decided that that wasn't worth it to me and that I wanted to see people's faces. And, and then I was like, well, I'll go to MCON. I'm going to go, what am I like? want to like put makeup on or something. It's like, no, I like, I, I really like being in my body and around other people. And so I just decided, I, I started thinking of it as like a bike lock, you know, it's like, if somebody really wants to steal your bike, they're going to do it, you know, but I'm not going to like bring a two ton chain, you know, or like a complete, like, you know, vault with me whenever I ride my bike, like I'm going to bring a lock, you know, and I'm going to build, bring a good lock and I'm going to be really smart about security but I'm not going to stop myself from going where I want to go. And so, you know, I ended up appearing on video at, at MCON and at, at the time I didn't expect that I was going to be on video, but then I was like, screw it. You know, like it's important to me. I want people to see my face. So. Yeah. And I feel like even the one degree of separation helps a lot, right? Like even if people yeah. have to like slate star codex had his name out there on the internet, but like mm-hmm. 99% of people didn't know who he was. So I think that can still be pretty effective. So the, the biggest kind of tr- trade-offs or, uh, positives or negatives of this path has been, well, one that is just freaking cool. You get to be it's like cool. at the forefront of, yeah. uh, weirdness in this community. That's awesome. You get, That's you get awesome. more security you still get to kind of open up to people that you built more of a relationship with. And if you're talking with someone who's thinking about seriously taking on a pseudonym, how would you give them a heads up on, of what's in store? Well, figuring out what you're, you know, like, are you an anime person? Are you like comic books? They're like, where, where is that pseudonym? How are you sourcing it? And having that be like really authentic for you, I think is really important what your name is. 
tracheoptics resonates with me in a lot of ways. I really love it as a name. So it's been really fun to have it. It suits me, you know. What what is the story behind tracheopatrix? It's a combination of a trachea, which is like the human organ of speech and song, and uh, the archaeopteryx, which is the first feathered dinosaur. So that's a really creative and powerful combination to me because like mm. the transition between dinosaur and bird is just, you know, profound evolutionary moment and also just song, artistry, speech, creativity. So like that speaks to me and I get to, I get to wear that every day, which is like um, a talisman, you know, it's got magical powers. So like find out where your magic's going to come from and give it a name. This is, you know, becoming a non is a kind of shape-shifting um, spiritual quest, you know, like look at it that way. Why not? That's more fun. Even if you don't believe in the spiritual stuff, it's more fun to think of it that way. I think so do with that, you know, really, so really find something that's going to bring you power and bring you what your goals are. Right. And embody that. And then, um, learn OPSEC, you know, like mm. you don't have to be like the, the super dev, super shadowy coder, but like, I mean, we, we should all, we should all know OPSEC, you know, everybody in this space. But when you're when you're in Anon, you need it in a different way too, just like around what your what types of uh, communications and engagements are going to cause different types of risks to your security, and decide how important it is to you, how uh, secure you want to keep it, what kind of bike lock do you want to ride around with, right? Mm-hmm. All right, man. I think we can call it here. Thanks, man. This was really fun. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for having me on. Could talk to you about this all day. So appreciate it. <laughs>